Let's ask God to bless us, Lord. We just thank you for this day. We thank you. I just thank you for the getting up in the morning and enjoying the day. Each day is a wonderful challenge and a wonderful time to see what can be done for you and can be done for the kingdom and for the hurrying back of Jesus. That's what we really want. We want the rapture to happen very soon. Jesus, the bright morning star will come and catch us away before the sun rising, which is the second coming, as we see in the book of Revelation. Many of these things we'll understand as we go through this wonderful book. But we thank you for it. We thank you for the whole Bible, really. Where would we be without the Bible? We would be like just floating around on a sea of nothingness where we wouldn't have any answers for anything. But the answers for absolutely everything in life are in this book. So we need to read it, lay it up in our hearts. One part talks about another part. And when you don't understand something, just keep reading, and another part will explain it. So we need to be Bible readers and to meditate on God's Word. So we want to do that, and we want to understand Revelation. So bless us as we consider these things today in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. We need to pray for Tom. He has congestive heart failure. Is there anyone else that is really sick that needs prayer? Well, Ned needs prayer because he had knee surgery and he's recovering. Lord, we pray for these that we've mentioned that are sick and that need healing from you and need speedy healing. And this one that's having 15-hour operation on his brain, oh, Lord, just bring him through it. We just ask it. You can do this, Lord. And so we ask that you would just put your healing hand on all of us that need anything, any part of us that needs healing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now we are in Revelation, and we've spent a good deal of time on the first chapter, which is wonderful. But the, the outline for the book, as you need to know, is in chapter 1, verse 19, where Jesus says to John, Write the things which you've seen. That would be what's in chapter 1. That would be the risen Jesus Christ, the wonderful, uh, the one standing in the middle of the lampstand. He, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, verse 13, down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were like wool, as white as snow. This isn't like Jesus as John knew him when he had his head on his breast. No, this is Jesus as he's coming back someday as a mighty judge and the ruler of the whole world. His head and hair like white wool, white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire. So this means that first, before he's going to come to rule this earth for a thousand years, he's going to come to judge like a flame of fire. That starts chapter 6 of Revelation, the tribulation, the awful time, seven years. If it were any longer, no flesh would be able to survive. It's going to be a terrible, terrible time. No one in this room wants anyone that they love to go through this time. That's why we have to tell our loved ones about this book of Revelation, that you take it literally. He had in his right hand seven stars. Now the seven stars, in verse 20, are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven churches are the seven lampstands that Jesus is walking amidst these seven lampstands. So this is a book of signs. Remember we saw in the first chapter that Jesus sent and signified it or signified it. Verse 1, 
by his angel. So these signs we see from the rest of the Bible, and that's what we'll be showing you, that this is a sign book. So the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Now, you really need to read, hear the lesson from last week because it's a survey of a lot of this. But anyway, we're in chapters 2 and 3. They have to do with the churches, the seven churches that Jesus is walking amiss. And uh, many people think different views on this, but I'm just going to tell you what I think after all these years of trying to decide which is which, that these represent the church down through the time that it started on Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost and after Jesus rose from the dead and started the church. And all of these churches were in what is now Turkey today. They were kind of close by and that's what makes you feel badly. In Halley's handbook it says that all of these first Christian churches in Turkey are all now Muslim and it's very sad to think that how Christianity started all over the Middle East there and now it's all Muslim for the most part. These seven churches represent churches down through the ages. Verse 11 of chapter 1 says, write this to the church at Ephesus, so there's an Ephesian church today, a Smyrnan church, the next one was the city of Smyrna, and then Pergamos, then Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so there should be in our world, at every generation, a church, one of these types of churches, the Smyrna church, Pergamos church, uh, Thyatiran church, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And we'll see that as we move through these churches. So we'll look at them, and uh, then I may just read them, and then we'll go back and talk about it. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Now, first I have to say that Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus. It was the jewel of the Roman Empire. The largest temple of Diana was there, and uh, it was a seacoast, and it was a very sick city, uh, very sinful. And the church started there in Ephesus, and so that's what the Ephesian letter is about. And then in Acts, Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus, and so we see that it was a very famous place. It's still there today. And you can see the ruins of it when you go to the seven churches. How many of you have been to the seven churches of Asia Minor? Well, you can visit this. I remember I left a little watch on a sweater that I left on the bus. That was a big mistake. <laughs> when I came back, the sweater was there, but the watch was gone. But anyway, that was Ephesus. So I started out in Ephesus thinking, well, boy, this is a rough place. But anyway, the relics are there, and you can walk the street. So the message of Ephesus to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. See, we saw what the, they were signs of. The lampstands are the church and the stars are the angels of the churches. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. This did happen in the first century, but today there are people that are saying the same thing in churches. They say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. 
and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand, remove the church, remove your lampstand from its place. The lampstands are signs of the churches, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So God does hate things, hurting things God hates. But he hates the Nicolaitan deeds. Well, we'll see what that is later. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Where did we first see the tree of life? In the Garden of Eden, didn't we? And to the angel of the church of Smyrna, write, These things, says the first and last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you're rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. What's the second death? Well, we'll find out. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things, says he who has a sharp two-edged sword, I know your works, where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. So Satan must have a throne in every generation, in some place, in one church, someplace. In Pergamos it was then, but who knows where it is today. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there the, those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. First it was the deeds, now the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and beguile my servants, to commit sexual immorality, and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, 
and I will give to each one of you according to your works. But to you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine and who have not known the depths of Satan, as they call them, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. But he who overcomes, this is in every one, who overcomes? And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the potter's vessels shall be broken to pieces, as I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things, says he, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you are dead, a dead church. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name from the book of life, but will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you've kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Somebody's going to be kept from the tribulation. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your ground. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eyesand, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. 
Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now see, we've seen, write the things Jesus said to John that you've seen, chapter 1, and the things which are chapters 2 and 3. Now, chapter 4, after these things, after the church is gone, after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. So then, from chapter 4, after these things, that's what he begins to tell what's going to happen after the church is gone. The first voice behind me was like a trumpet, speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you what will take place after this, or after the rapture. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper, diamond, clear and a red stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had the face of a man, and the fourth living creature was a flying eagle. And the four living creatures each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now this is the same language that we see in Ezekiel chapter 1. So go back and read Ezekiel because that's the same kind of sign language. All right, now back to our churches. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things, says he, who holds the seven stars in his hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now remember we saw, this says, I saw seven golden lampstands in chapter 1, verse 12, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded with a golden band. His feet were like fine brass, but he had in his right hand, verse 16, seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, John said, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. That's what Jesus said. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I've been resurrected. I am alive forevermore. Amen and I have the keys of hell and death. Write the things which you've seen about me, and the things which are these churches, and the things which shall take place after the churches. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels. So stars and angels are equated. We talked about that last week. Good and bad angels, <laughs> good and bad star angels. 
and the seven lampstands which you saw, and they're the seven churches. So the church at Ephesus, that's the first one, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So this is Jesus. So evidently, in every generation, he's paying attention to what happens in each church. And he said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you've tested those who say they are apostles. So evidently there were those who were claiming to be apostles back then, and there are today in churches claiming that they're apostles, and they are not, and found them liars. The last apostle died, that was John, and he lived to be an old man on the Isle of Patmos. But there are no more apostles. And they say an epistle is the wife of an apostle, but that's not right either. <laughs> I know your works uh, and your patience, and you can't bear those who are evil. You tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience. The perseverance is one of the things God really wants us to have, to keep going and patience, which is very hard, but that's what we're to practice. You've persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So there were a lot of good in this church in Ephesus. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Are there churches today that started out strong and for some reason have become less strong and weak and really false, false prophets? Um, you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly. Do these things that we've just read, perseverance and patience and doing good deeds for him. And do these things, or else I'm going to come quickly and remove your lampstand, the church. So is there a church in Ephesus today? No, it's just a bunch of ruins over there. And there are a lot of other churches that have closed their doors, and like that wonderful church in Santa Sophia, it's now a big mosque over in Istanbul. It was one of the most beautiful churches in all the world until the Muslims took it over. So it's gone. I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, so this is the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now let's read here. I'll just read a little bit from Acts where we meet this man um, choosing co-laborers. In the days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a murmuring against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. These are Greek-speaking Jews because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve stumbled the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and they chose Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Syria, from Antioch. So here is this Nicholas, whom they set before the apostles, and when they prayed, they laid hands on them, and the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. 
So this is where we meet Nicholas. So what became of him? Evidently, the deeds of the Nicolaitans, Dr. Ryrie says, followers of Nicholas, according to early church fathers, these were apparently a sect which advocated license in matters of Christian conduct, including free love, though some understand the meaning of the name conquering the people, that they were a group which promoted a clerical hierarchy, which is probably what it really was, over the people. Nico, victory over the people. Laity is the people. Nico is the Greek word for that. So I think it's probably victory over the people where certain ones are over the people. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. Now, who is he that overcomes? Let's look at the last chapter of 1 John, almost at Revelation. 1 John, chapter 5, verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you're an overcomer. So you fit into each one of these. And this first church, you will be able to eat from the tree of life. For say we're told you could eat of all the trees of the garden, Adam and Eve. There's one tree that you're not to eat of it. In the day that you eat of its fruit, you will surely die. Well, that's when Satan deceives it. I'm going to take care of this couple. So he deceived Eve, and she took of the tree and gave to her husband. They ate, and their eyes were opened. They knew good and evil. So this is, I will get the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That's why God made them leave the garden, because if they'd eat, after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, well, they knew good from evil, but couldn't keep from doing evil. And they would eat of the tree of life if they were left there and live forever in their evil, sinful bodies. So God cast them out of the garden. But someday, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So someday this tree, somewhere the roots are in the earth and it'll come forth again. Wherever the Garden of Eden was, over there in the Middle East, this tree we will eat from. Now then to the second church, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things, says the first and last, who was dead and came to life, I know your works, your tribulation, and your poverty. They had a tough time, and there are a lot of churches today that fit in this category. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Could this be the start of replacement theology I've written in my Bible? It's probably the only time you'll ever hear this. But this is what I'm thinking as I'm reading this. People that say, well, we're Jews, and so God's through with the real Jew, and we're the Jews now. So that's what they say, that God's through with the Jew, and the church has replaced the Jew. The church has replaced Israel. Replacement theology. They say they are Jews and are not. They're Gentiles, but they're a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. There are five crowns, and 
this is one I don't particularly want to have, <laughs> a martyr's crown, but we might have to. There are a lot of people that are going to have that and are doing that today. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So the second death, it will be at the end of time, after the rapture, those that are left that have rejected Jesus Christ will be cast into a lake of fire. This is the second death. Turn to the last chapter of Revelation and we'll read about that. Verse 11 of chapter 20. Well, verse 10. Let's see what happens to the devil. Satan and the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Imagine that. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. These are all the lost. And the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. By their works you shall know them and by their works they'll be judged. And if they don't believe in Jesus, they will be cast into the lake of fire by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So mark that down. This is the second death. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And it's my position that before you're even born, God knows who's going to believe and who isn't. That's Psalm 139. Turn there with me. And this is so deep, you have to really think about it and think about it. Psalm 139, where David says, Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You've hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Isn't that wonderful to even think of, whether God, how he loves you? Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. Like Jonah, he was down there and Jesus was there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you have formed my inward parts. Now here's the part. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame, this is my bones or skeleton, was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. So evidently, before you're even conceived, in the lowest parts of the earth, there you were. God said, your eyes saw my substance. This is, it's, it's not 
unfathomable for me, but this is what God says. He sees our substance being yet unformed. Think about this. Go over it and over it and meditate on it. See what you come up with. That he sees you before you're even formed. And in your book, they are all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me. And so this is such a wonderful psalm to have in connection with this. And to the angel of the church at Pergamos write, These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. Now, Hebrews 4 said, The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it's a critic of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So this, he's going to be tested by the word of God. And the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now, where is Satan's throne in those days? Well, in the final days, in Revelation, it's going to be in Babylon. That's where he's going to have his capital, the Antichrist. But in the early days, well, a lot of people think it's Rome. I know your works where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr. Dr. Ryrie says Pergamus is about 45 miles north of Smyrna. It boasted one of the finest libraries of antiquity and was the place where parchment was first used. It had once been the capital of the Roman province of Asia, but there's really nothing there now. But I have a few things against you there in Pergamum because you have there those who hold the doctrine or the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak, the king of Moab, to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. So Balaam was a prophet of God who, as we read in 1 Peter 1.19, 2 Peter, where it says, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They're presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they don't understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. See, there are people like this in churches today, believers, but they've turned away. Beguiling unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. See, they're born again, but they're cursed by God. They have forsaken the right way. So they knew the right way, but are there people today that knew the right way and have left it? There are. And in every generation, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. And so back here about Balaam, back in the Old Testament, 
in Numbers chapter 24. I wanted to hit this just a little bit about Balaam because one of the most wonderful prophecies about Jesus, he, he gave one of the most wonderful prophecies from the Lord about Jesus Christ. It's in Numbers 24, verse 17, where before he left being a prophet and turned away from righteousness, he said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. That would be Jesus. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. So out of Jacob one shall have dominion. This is exactly what he said. The star shall come out of Jacob. That's his first coming. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. That's his second coming. You could just under circle that and say first coming, second coming. But so when Balaam started in chapter 22, when the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan, this is after they came out of Egypt, three, three million people. Can you imagine what all of the Canaanites thought as they saw this great horde coming out toward them? and asking if they could pass through their land and that they wouldn't take anything. They would pay for anything. They took water or anything. They said, no, you can't. Well, anyway, they camped on the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. And now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw that all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, this company will lick us up. All that's around us like an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of Moabites at that time. So Balak was the king of Moab. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pithor, which is near the Euphrates River, in the land of the sons of his people. So it probably took him a while to get there, to call him saying, look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once, curse this people for me. They're too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I may know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. And they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. See, he was a believer, but he would do anything for money. Are there preachers and priests and leaders in the Christian church and others that will do anything for money? In every generation, this is true. But whatever the Lord speaks to me, that's what I'll tell you. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God said to Balaam, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they're blessed. So Balaam arose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land. The Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balaam again sent more princes, more money, more numerous than they. And they came to Balaam and said, Thus says Balak, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly. I will do whatever you say to me. 
Therefore, please curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, see, at this time he's standing firm, isn't he? If he would give me his silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. A lot of people say that Balaam wasn't even saved. In other words, saved people can't do this. Don't kid yourself. <laughs> they can do just as, they can act worse than unbelievers many times. And so, now therefore, please stay here tonight. And God said to Balaam, if the men come to call you, rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, went with the princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. And then about the, the donkey talking and Balaam kept striking the donkey because she saw an angel with a sword in his hand going to kill the donkey. Well, so when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, verse 25, she pushed her against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, the donkey lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was furious and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and said to him, he could open the mouth of a snake in the Garden of Eden. He can open the mouth of a donkey if he wants to. What have I done to you, the donkey said, that you've struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, he evidently didn't think anything of the donkey talking to him. It's like Eve probably thinking, how could the snake be talking to me? Well, he was. Balaam said to the donkey, because you've abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you've ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and he fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I've come out to stand against you because your way, Balaam, is perverse before me. He's a pervert before God. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would also have killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I didn't know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak, and when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border of the Arnon River, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, Look, I have come to you. Now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. So Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kirjath Huzath. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep and sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal. That would be the wrong place, the heathen place. And from there he might observe the extent of the people, the high mountain where they worship Baal on the high mountain. But he could also see the three million people spread out there ready to cross the Jordan River. Then Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars for me and offer all these bulls and everything. Then the Lord 
put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he returned to him, and there he was standing by his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab. And this is what his oracle was. Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, or Adam, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? From the top of the rocks I see him. From the hills I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Now this really is a concise meaning of the name Israel. A people dwelling alone. Haven't they been all this time? They're separate. They have a separate language and they've been restored to their land. But what nation has been scattered into every nation of the earth and brought back into their own land and speaking their ancient Hebrew language? A people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. Then Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me, this king of Moab? I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you've blessed them bountifully. So this really is a lot of humor in this, that I've paid richly to curse them, and now you bless them. So he answered and said, Must I not take heed to what the Lord has put in my mouth? So then he did it again, and the next time, verse 21, I want you to see this in this next oracle. He took up his words, God is not a man that he should lie, but verse 21, he has not observed iniquity in Jacob. He's forgiven it. There's plenty of iniquity in Jacob, isn't there, as we go through the Old Testament. A lot of things that they did wrong. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob. This is grace. In Christ, it's all forgiven. Nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. And see, that's the way the Lord looks at you and me once you believe in Jesus. He hasn't observed sin in us. We know we're full of sin, but he hasn't observed it because Jesus took it all when he died on the cross for us, took our sins up there with him. Nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord is God is with him and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He is strength like a wild ox. There's no sorcery against Jacob nor any divination against Israel. It must now be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness, lifts herself up like a lion, and shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Then Balak the king said to Ben, well, don't either curse him at all or bless him at all. Don't do either one. So Balaam answered and said, didn't I tell you, saying, all the Lord speaks, that I must do? Then Balak said to Balaam, please come and I will take you to another place and there maybe you will do this. And so then this next place he said, the utterance of him, verse 4, who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of El Shaddai, the overpowering mighty one, the almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. How lovely are your tents. Imagine Balak hearing this when he wants him to curse Israel. And Balaam is saying, O Israel, how lovely are your tents. Your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. 
He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who will rouse him. When you see in Revelation the lions around the throne. See, this is what God has around him. The lion of the tribe of Judah. So after this, he said, I can't curse them, and Balak's anger was aroused against him. Now then, in verse 14, is about just before that star will come out of Jacob, he said, And now indeed, Balaam said, I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people, the Jews, will do to your people, all these heathen Canaanites, in the latter days. Now that's what you need to read, the 38th chapter of Ezekiel, of what's happening in the latter days. He's going to wipe them all out. The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor. But in the end, he got them to worship the gods. He got them into sexual immorality with the gods of the people that they defeated. So that was his sin that we saw in Peter, who loved the wages of sin. They've forsaken the right way, gone astray. So anyway, Balaam, verse 14 of chapter 2. I have a few things against you because you have there in your church, there in Pergamos, those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things. Here's a Christian doing this out of fellowship, got Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. And for this, at the next battle, Balaam was killed. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So what was the acts, the deeds of the Nicolaitans in verse 6 of chapter 2 has now become the doctrine or the teaching of these victory over the people, whoever they are, which things I hate. Those who set themselves up over the normal Christian, he said, repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's like that person, Jim Jones, that was like a king over the people that told them what to do and told them to drink poison, and they do it. Victory over the people. There are people like that, cults. It's just amazing that people will follow people that tell them these awful things to do. It must be Satan behind it. So repent. Change your mind. Repent doesn't mean sorrow for sin. You can be sorrowful for sin, but repent means to change your mind. Change your mind about it, and then you can say you're sorry. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, that's a believer, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. The hidden manna to eat and I will give him a white stone. Well, what was the manna? Well, when they were hungry and they came out of Egypt, God sent manna down from heaven every day. They could grind it and bake it, but it was like a cereal kind of, but he calls it angel food. It tasted like honey and grain together. It must have been lovely, but they were sick of it after 40 years. That's all they had. Except in other places in the Psalm, it says that he let them have seafood from the ocean. So they did that too. But anyway, he said, He who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, on the stone a new name, which no one knows except him who receives it. So you're going to get a new name, I will, 
on a white stone, which is probably a diamond. And what is this hidden manna? Well, that's in John 6. Turn back to John 6 in closing today. Then we'll take the next chapter, the next church, and see how far we get. But remember, they talked about the manna that came down from heaven, verse 31 of chapter 6. He said, Our fathers ate manna in the desert, as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses didn't give the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, that's Jesus, and gives life to the world. Later on, he said, verse 48, I am this manna. I am the bread of life. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes on me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me and yet don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And what is the will of him who sent me? This is the will of the Father who sent me. What's God's will? People say, how do I know God's will? This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. Now, once you believe in Jesus, can you lose your salvation? He says you can't. So don't you want to believe him? He said, all that he's given me, I would lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will. What's God's will? This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son, that's Jesus, and believes in Jesus, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is so wonderful to think of that when you believe in Jesus, he gives you everlasting life. You can't lose it. You might say, well, I don't want it anymore. Well, that's too bad. Once you're born into your family, you're born into that family. You can't get out of it. So, Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. Bless it to our hearts. May we be Bible readers. May we go back and reread these stories so that we know them and love them and tell them to our children and grandchildren and relatives because we don't want anyone to be lost. We want everyone to be in heaven. But we have to do it in a sweet way. And it's your word that convicts, not what we say, but it's what you say. So bless it to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.